0: who's onside here's Sims it's a good search this from Southampton they could finish the
1: Hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Uh, I am John Bailey and I'm here tonight with uh, Mr. Tom Parker. Tom, how, how are you? I'm
2: good, John. Good. Uh, a lot of football this week. A lot going on this week, but good, yeah. Excited.
1: Yeah, and, and you finally, you know, made it back from the toilet having left uh, before hey. Che Adams' goal, which, which we managed to capture on the... You, on the bt let's let, let's start with this tom because i think this is quite funny so today saints played bournemouth and yeah uh the, the bt got in contact with me i've done some kind of little videos for bt before last season and they're like oh do you could you or anyone else um f- go and be part of that bt fan park which you took them up on as did my brother and my dad yeah and uh I was you know I was looking out for you I saw you celebrating Danny Ings' first goal and then like at at the end of the game Cherdum scores a goal and you know there's this wall of saints fans celebrating I see my dad and my brother in the bottom left corner going crazy and then there's this this kind of living room that I recognize in south london but but nobody there tom what happened where were you
2: i, I um yeah i mean, I not only missed i mean i missed the um the VAR decision on the on the Bournemouth goal and then I missed the Shat Adams I had uh, my daughter Beatrice who is otherwise absolutely charming uh, you know anyone who's got kids and John obviously you've got two kids will know that kids are basically work on very fine timelines don't they and, and basically if you if you mess around with those timelines John my god and and Beatrice um, that game also today went on for forever not as long as the FA Cup game Man United but it, it seems to go gone for a long time and basically I was in Beatrice's allotted uh, walking slash nap time, and that is something I pledged my wife I would do. So,
1: <laughs> you know,
2: I, I stepped up and missed arguably the most exciting three minutes of the season.
1: Oh dear, Tom. Uh, I mean, um, it, sort of, but, you know. yeah. I mean, if you are looking for an excuse for a late goal, Chaddams's goal against Bournemouth is the latest goal since two thousand and twelve. I think when Yakuibu scored for for Blackburn Rovers in the ninety. 90- eighth plus something minute so uh, there you go it was certainly a late goal. Um, Tom we have got four Saints games to talk about in this episode because we didn't manage to kind of get ourselves together last week so we've got four <laughs> four games to go um, unlike Southampton normally if you're talking about four games you'd expect there'd be a dreadful performance or a dreadful loss in there but but that's not the case We've got we've got nothing but you know wins and draws to talk about so that, that's pretty good um we'll get on to that in a moment but um we had a lovely message on uh, the YouTube, on the Ugly Inside YouTube channel where all of our podcasts are uh, published as well. So Freddie puts them up there uh, from a chap called Christian and he says, Guys, as always, a real pleasure to listen to you. After having listened to at least two thirds of your episodes, I consider you both friends of mine. Let's have a pint next time I go to St. Mary's if you're there too. I'm there once or twice per season. Um, last time was for my three sons against wolves. Best wishes from Christian, who lives in Copenhagen, Denmark. He's a a, a GP and a former club doctor for a full-time professional team, presumably in Denmark, and a Saints supporter since 1979. So, Christian, hello. Um, I didn't even know that you existed before you put this comment on, but now I consider you a friend. And absolutely, next time we're allowed at St. Mary's, if you and me and Tom are going to the same game, let's absolutely have a pint. That would be lovely. Um,
2: that would be good. Yeah, much cheaper than going for a party in Copenhagen, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is true. Although, you know, Copenhagen's a nice place. I, I, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe at the end of next season, Tom, we might be talking about European football. and We could get a, a trip to oh. FC Copenhagen. That would be good fun, wouldn't it? That'd
2: be the dream, John. Absolute
1: yeah. dream. Um, <laughs> listeners, you you have to excuse this sort of um optimism. It's not. You know, it's not normal (laughs) for us, is it, Tom? So, I mean, let's go back to the start. Yeah, let's go back to the start. So, the the last time we spoke, Saints had just beaten, um, you know, Premier League champions of last season, Manchester City, in a game where Chatham scored a wonderful goal from, you know, miles out and we held on with some you know, fantastic last stitch defending. We're singing the praises of Jan Bednarek and Jack Stevens and Che Adams and all of that and Ralph Hassan for the tactics being spot on. We're really looking forward to the game against Everton um, at Goodison Park. We did talk about the juju um, of like the hoodoo, whatever you call it, the magic, the spell, there's some something that hangs over Goodison witchcraft. Park. Yeah, some some witchcraft, which means that Saints can't win there. And, you know, it proved the same again, because somehow we came away with a draw, despite absolutely battering them in the first half. Um, and, you know, James Will Prowse missed a penalty, went skying off the kind of crossbar, uh, Danny has got a great goal, but we were kind of undone by one of those long crossfield balls. I mean, Tom, what what did you make of this game?
2: Well, it's probably the best 45 minutes of round ball. I thought the first half was, was just fantastic, wasn't it? We were, flew into Everton, who looked really poor, and you can see why they want Hoiberg. Um, and, and if anyone is, uh, wants more information on why they want Hoiberg, there's a really good article on the Athletic today about about what that the sort of gap in their team I think Holberg would fill. But yeah, it was brilliant Saints in that first half and they, they tore into so I mean, it it did have that feeling of, you know, we need you know, almost like today's game where we where we you know, we don't feel comfortable unless we're probably at least two goals up. Um but it was a but it was a really strong performance. I think it helped by, you know, some slightly odd refereeing. I don't I don't think it was a penalty you know I think it was a bit of weak heresy, but the first half job we, we flew at them didn't we
1: I mean, it, it was amazing you could tell the Saints players were buzzing from you know having beaten Man City the game before and they're playing with incredible confidence and, and they're kind of close control the quick passing the movement up front which normally is something that we can struggle with a bit I, I think in terms of looking really threatening going forward but but we looked really amazing, and um, you know, it was a surprise that it actually took, you know, as long as it did to get that goal. Really, um, and it was a strange you know, goal, John. It was a strange goal. I, I think I remember the commentators saying that um, they thought that uh, Stuart Armstrong was having a shot, um, which I'm not convinced by. It surely was, by. wasn't he? Do
2: you think? Yeah, he, do you think it was
1: a pass? I thought it was a pass. I thought it was a really good disguised pass. Mm, I don't know
2: For me, he kind of sliced it. You it was like
1: You just
2: think it was dreadful. A, yeah, but it's dreadful. But it's, but what like brilliant reactions from Danny Ings? Yeah, yeah, like Twinkle Toes to get it out of his feet, get it round the sort of sparing Pickford. Um, it was a weird goal, but that's if you think about it. Like that's Danny Ings is is great. and we are talking about like that like, a lot, but doesn't he score like all sorts of goals?
1: Yeah, he like he does. I mean that goal. one was kind of like a scrappy, odd what what I think Ings has is that he has this ability to think faster than it like his brain and his feet seem to have like a pretty good, pretty quick connection. Because that I mean that um that goal was an example of whoever ra- reacts fast reacts fastest to this is gonna get the goal or you know, the save yeah. or whatever it was and um, you know, he did really well but, to take it around, kind of Pickford, and 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 get it.
2: You know. But this anticipation it, is that it's like what Ings seems to be very good at is, is thinking this could you know what can happen? What are the what are the possible scenarios that can happen right now? And I'm not saying he thought that the cross you know the ball would be sliced to him, but like he obviously was ready. You know, he was obviously totally ready for that ball. Yeah. You know, no matter which way it came to him, um, but yeah, brilliant 45 minutes.
1: Shame about Ward Prowse missing that penalty, though. Yeah. Very I mean, strange. He, he looked like it. I mean, I was chatting to my dad, I think, throughout this one, and um, I was kind of telling my dad about that statistic of, you know, players who win a penalty are less likely to score it than someone else. So if you're the person being fouled, you're less likely to score the penalty than if someone else kind of steps up and takes it. And I mentioned that to my dad, and then obviously James Ward Prowse kind of then missed the spot kick. Um, well, John, I think we'll get onto spot uh, kicks as well a little bit later yeah, on. Yeah, another penalty
2: thing to talk about. Right, right, yeah. right, another one of those similar stats today. Which yeah, is very interesting. If
1: true. Okay, and and Jordan Pickford had one of those kind of games where I mean he made that save from Danny Ings' header, which I don't know how he kind of kept out. And I mean it's, it seems so long ago now. Did Chairdoms also have a goal disallowed for offside? Um.
2: Yeah. No. No. Armstrong
1: had a goal. Armstrong had fight. a goal disallowed for us.
2: Very early on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, first half, John, amazing. But, yeah.
1: uh,
2: you know, we got outdone, didn't we, by that, by
1: that ball? Yeah. I mean, that, that long crossfield ball is the thing that really cost us against, um, you know, that game that we shouldn't talk about much, but we're always going kind to of come back to. You. But, um, yeah, which is
2: the against Burnley. It's a it's a ball that we struggle to deal with, isn't it? Like you know, all throughout the season, we struggle to deal with those sort of rake high balls into the box. Anyway, now what are you
1: going to do? There, there we go. Um, referee had like an odd performance, I think. You know, we got a penalty which probably shouldn't have been a penalty. Jan Bednarek could have been sent off, wasn't sent off. I think Everton could have had a player sent off. I think Richarlison really should have been sent off, probably. Um, yeah,
2: I, I don't think Bednarik should have been, I thought it was a brilliant tackle. Yeah, I,
1: I, I was, It confused me because
2: I thought Bednarik's tackle was brilliant because I thought if it was a foul, and it was, this is the weird thing about it, like if it was a foul and the referee gave it the foul, why didn't he send him off?
1: Tom, I think you're talking about a different Bednarik tackle. Aren't you talking about the Bednarik tackle oh. against Brighton now? Oh, maybe I am. Yeah, I, th- I think you think you've you've lost the plot, Tom. Oh, I'm getting confused. <laughs> it's been a very long week. So much football to catch up with. So much, I can't work it out anymore. Yeah, right. So, so let's let's move on to a Game at Old Trafford, um, Manchester United, the inform side of post-lockdown Premier League football, and we need to talk about this as well because um, I haven't got the kind of full league table of post-lockdown because the, the one that was published earlier hasn't had Saints results added to it. But I've got the last six games. Manchester United uh one five draw one. Obviously the draw was against Southampton, you know, storming the post-lockdown league. Southampton in, in fifth in, in the kind of form table of the last six games. Um and you knew it was going to be an exciting game and it and so it proved really because you know we were we were pretty good, I thought, you know, right from the off. We were at them. Um, you know, this is a Man United that before that had won three games in a row by three clear goals, scored, you know, five against Bournemouth, um, and were absolutely going great guns, and we were doing really fantastic pressing again. and And Saints got a lead, I think, after about eleven minutes through Stuart Armstrong. But really, I think we have to talk about that man Danny Ings again, Tom. Can you remember this goal now?
2: It was it was the perfect Ralph goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I do I remember this? I'm not yeah, it was a perfect Ralph goal, wasn't it? Like, I think if you think, if you imagine if you're Ralph and you set your team up and you instill in them a philosophy, if you could craft a goal which perfectly embodies that philosophy, it would be that goal. It, it was, you know, Podber is a fascinating creature because I was a, you know, I was went from me as you were, John, to the um the, the League Cup final a few years back and. Hogbert that day got bossed by Romeo. And so that's the only time I've ever seen a player. And I just, I'm just, you know, we're not here to talk about him, but he's just so soft, so casual on the ball. And, and you can just see, again, it's, it's similar to what, you know, we're doing at San he's It's obviously, a, you know, you know, just get this, win this ball high up the pitch. But what's amazing is opposition still letting us do it. And you just think a player was quality, but it was a brilliant goal and it, it about it was selfish play by Danny to lay the ball off to Nathan Redmond. Redmond picks out a perfect cross to Stuart Armstrong, who's playing this kind of like weird false number ten role, isn't he for Saints? This sort of like right wing slash second striker role, um, and he's got a hat against Man United. Didn't he score against Man United a couple of seasons ago? I think he did in Mark Hughes's in the game we drew two all, where Cedric scored a free kick. And that was that was Armstrong but it was a brilliant goal and again it was this is Ralph Ball and it's um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said it's like heavy metal football and he's totally right it's thrilling to watch
1: well I mean, I mean this is the thing as well so I'm going to go back to your point about Pogba being baffling because that like heavy metal football was, was that a Ralph quote or was, or was that kind of like a Jürgen said yeah um, like Solskjaer clearly knew about Southampton's game plan he knew that they were going to press and so you must have told Pogba, you know, yes, Southampton, they're going to block off the channels to go down, um, you know, the wings. So they're going to hope that you're going to pick up the ball and then they're going to press you and try and tackle you. And we did it, you know, that wasn't the only time. We we nearly caught him out again um, shortly. Yeah, Chadam's caught him, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. Lovely little pass from Ings uh, to Redmond, who I thought his cross was just, yeah, perfect wasn't it perfectly weighted to stuart armstrong who had so much time he could take a touch and then slot it past there and and the coolness of stuart armstrong i want to talk about as well because tom if i'm getting that chance you know six yards out at old trafford to score against man united my heart is going to be like going like the clappers i'm mm-hmm. going to be so nervous but not stuart armstrong coolest man in the world yeah. takes it controls it puts it in um and it felt like a deserved lead at the time and it was just kind of a shame what happened in from the 20th minute through to the 23rd minute when suddenly we were kind of undone by some brilliant play by Marshall basically
2: yeah i mean the guy seems unplayable doesn't he i think it was a, it was interesting i think um I, I still think the first goal was a very weak goal for Saints to yeah marshall's play in in holding off Stevens and and laying the ball off to Rashford he finished you know like incredibly well across McCarthy yeah it was great but I, I just still felt Saints should have got hold of Wamba before that I don't know if yeah. you remember John and yeah this, Wan-Bissaka was just able to sort of use his incredibly long legs to sort of just weave in and out and, and avoid about three tackles and I it's one of those things where you were just surprised one of the Saints players didn't take one of our famous tactical fouls yeah um and it just, it just, yeah, it was really good by Marshall, and yeah, it's a great finish by Rashford. But you just kind of felt the ball should never have been there. You know, someone should have dealt with that.
1: I mean, um, especially Bertrand as well, who, who is really savvy enough, I think, to not let Wamba get past him. Yeah,
2: yeah. I because I just don't think it would have been a booking. you know, because no, yeah. you know, it was, it was kind of nothing happening. But yeah, I didn't. I mean, it's, but then, isn't this is the difference, John. I mean, I, like, you know, we. The Saints are playing unbelievably well. Uh, yeah, and, and we are all thrilled with it. But we do have players that, you know, like and I, I think Nathan Raymond brings so much to the team, but he is clearly low on confidence. And, you know, today's game, I think, showed that. And I think that's the difference isn't it, between, like, a Man United. And there's many differences between Man United and Southampton. Southampton have got Danny Ings, who will bang in all the goals, and a few other players. Man United have got the front three plus Fernandes. You know, they've got almost like, they've got half a team that's going to turn it on in any one game. Yeah. Um,
1: and that, they've just got this embarrassment of riches. I mean, that that was the kind of phrase that I was thinking about there. Um, but you know, it's funny what you're saying about Nathan Rebham, because I get it. I, I get what you're saying about him seemingly kind of missing bits of confidence. But he's, he's now got three assists in three games.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, He's, I mean, he, yeah. he's, still getting he's a funny player as me. Well, I, love, I, I mean, I love him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him. I, I, I think he's a, he's a much better player than Buffao in terms of impact, and I think he's a better player right now than Gineppo. Is. So yeah. I think he's, he's nailed on for the team. Um, don't get me wrong. I think you know be mad to drop him.
1: I wonder uh, if, 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 got, if with Nathan Redmond, almost the problem is, is that you've got players. Like, when Redmond was playing really well last season and the whole rest of the Saints team weren't, he looked leagues above everyone else. Um, And now you've got Danny Ings looking so good. And, you know, you've got Carl Walker-Peters. He's he's starting to look really good. Stuart Armstrong's looking really good. Um, Che Adams, Shane Long, Obafemi are all doing really good jobs whoever's kind of partnering Danny Ings. That suddenly he's no longer the star of the show, is he? You know, because... Everyone else no. around him has kind of stepped up a level, and he doesn't look quite as, um, you know, as, as hot as he used to. But I, I still think he's kind of performing pretty. He's still doing kind of Nathan Redmondy things of taking it around people, getting crosses in, creating chances. It's just I think as we're creating more and more chances, perhaps he's you know he seems a little bit more low on confidence or, or not performing quite as well just because everyone else is performing quite well around him.
2: Yeah, I I think he's obviously and also he's a very confident and it sounds like a silly thing today, but just by watching him you think he looks like a very confident based footballer. G-g- I mean I know they all are, I guess all strikers are, but like when you watch him in a game up close, um, I think he's actually calmed it a little bit. But you know, do you remember John when he was at go to St. Mary's and you hearing hear him like screaming at teammates and yeah, he's very emotional, he's very passionate, and I think he's actually Learned to control that a little bit but i yeah i i, I don't know i mean he he's still definitely he's done a great job and you know at the end of the day, he's part of a team that's now six unbeaten and they'd you know, be mad to break it up i just think you know he just introduced goals into his game which is obviously you know the hardest thing to do in football you know redmond could be a world beater, couldn't
1: he yeah i mean there, there's definitely space for him to be even better and he is and he is already good um What do you make of the the rest of the game then? Because, you know, after the 23rd minute, I actually felt like Southampton... I mean, both teams had chances. McCarthy made some pretty good saves. Um, But, you know, Saints had some pretty good chances as well. And, you know, we we did trouble them a bit. And and I felt that, you know, when we're going into the 90th minutes and all the kind of added-on time that we're having... I felt like Saints were very much the the stronger side, and I was kind of looking for us to yeah. to to get that um to get that kind of victory or not victory, but that equaliser, yeah. which which did come in the end.
2: I think it was well deserved. I mean, I think look, we were we were clearly. I mean, Man United did a thing that you know Ferguson team probably wouldn't have done, which is they they didn't they didn't look to kill Saints, did they? I mean, whether it's tiredness or a bit of arrogance. And I thought Harry Maguire's interview, I think, at the end of the game, probably makes me think it was arrogance, where they felt, probably they felt like a a boxer, you know, who knows he's already winning on points. They just thought they had to kind of keep Saints away rather Mm. than try and knock us out. And I think, yeah, I mean, you know, we had, you know, over the course of the game, we had more possession than them, and I think you know Ralph is absolutely right. We lost our heads for a ten. Temp- we forgot what we were doing. We forgot what we were all about. for Ten minutes, and they scored twice in that ten minutes. But if you if you take that out of the game, Saints were were well in it, and I think there's so much to enjoy about Ralph. And I think we you know we are like we obviously love him. I think it's yeah it's getting a bit, probably a bit much, but he's certainly my favourite Saints manager. For well, for, well. It's probably is anyone really, because I think he's passionate. You know, like, well, he, he's not disconnected. He's clearly so passionate. But what a great thing to do in a game that doesn't mean anything to Saints. like you know, supposedly he takes off the holding midfielder and puts on a young centre forward in the 87th minute to go and get something from the game.
1: Yeah, I you mean we, we, like, we, which he then goes on and about, does right. which is just great, yeah. isn't it? And I you know, I'm going to pick up on that kind of that arrogance from Man United because yeah, absolutely right. The whole build-up for the for the the game was all about Man United could go third, Man United are going to end up in the Champions League positions, like Man United this, Man United that. And you know, even as the Saints FC podcast, like our Twitter account was copied into this um video preview called united to go third it's like i mean wh- why why am i going to be interested in that tom so i you know i re- retweeted that and i was like yeah this is saint's greatest opportunity to go 11th in the table um and it's you know it is a bit of a mickey tape because you know they, they didn't respect us at all um i think show does but definitely the players didn't Pogba wasn't aware of Danny Ings. Um, Harry Maguire's interview at the end was just—it oh, was beautiful to see. And then I don't know if you were watching on Sky Sports, but Gary Neville, bloody hell, was he doing my head in throughout the game? It was just Man United this, Man yeah. United that, blah blah blah, the whole wasn't way it? through. Wasn't it's it bit...
2: brilliant when he was like, "I'll give it. he's your man of the match, Gary?" But I'll give it—you know—to the, to, the, to, to to Marshall. You know, he has got the match winner. Yeah, it's like. Like, what are you talking about? The game's you know, not like, over. <laughs> game's not over. And I think it And also, they weren't like, no news the game's not over. Like, May and I were under the cosh. You know, what like a kind of silly thing to say. And I thought the whole. I think a lot of it's summed up by the kind of furore, fake furore for me around the, the Romeo challenge yeah. on Greenwood, which I didn't. I think. I don't think it was a horrible foul. I think it was a. You know, Greenwood is incredibly quick. Romeo is. Not, Not the fastest, at the best of times. And I think it was just misjudged. I don't,
1: Because I mean, the thing I is, mean, for Romeo he, was, he wasn't even looking Romeu at Greenwood, was, a, was he, Tom? I mean, he was, he was no. basically trying to turn around. And I think when you looked at it in normal speed and you didn't slow it down, it just looked like he tried to turn around and might have trodden on his toes as he did it. Yeah, and I think,
2: for me, Romeo is, is, is really fascinating. He's almost like very old-fashioned, like a Jimmy Cates-style, you know, or Terry Hurlock style player that you don't see many of anymore. But yeah, he gets booked a lot, right? And he gets commits a lot of fouls. But I don't think he's a malicious player. Like, nice. I don't think he goes to hurt people. You know, he commits a lot of fouls, but that's his job. Like he doesn't go to hurt people. And I I think that that, that Man United that whole confection around should you know, should Samson have be been down to ten men is a is a classic kind of diversionary tactic of don't look at maybe why Man United and why their superstar players didn't put in a full
0: shift. Mm.
2: Yeah, and Harry Maguire's interview at the end where he's almost like, I don't understand why he almost couldn't understand that a team that, in his words, didn't have anything to play for, went and went and did that. It
1: was so sweet. Yeah, it's almost
2: like this arrogance of like, well, why aren't you just rolling over in front of us? Yeah, we're Man United. But all credit to Ralph. Great eighty-seven minute change. Brilliant corner, wasn't it, by Wal Prowse? Oh, fantastic. And a, and a great win from Bedner. And it just, you know, it felt so good, didn't it? It felt, you know, they've done it to other teams so many times. Oh, and what, uh, what, Was United? it, right, it was yeah. the latest, yeah. And it was the late, was it the latest goal Man United have conceded since they started recording exact goal times by Opta, which is like in, surprisingly late, something like 2011 or something yeah. like that. A yeah. real one to savour.
1: Oh, it it was it was an absolute beat. And you know, I think Wan Bissaka put in an awful tackle in at the end as well, which you know could have quite easily have got a red card for. But um I mean I very rarely get um you know as wound up as Gary Neville managed to wind me up during the course of this game. But I, I was probably doing Air V signs, Tom, at the television, uh, which were aimed at Gary Neville when Off-A-Femi put it in. And that's the thing. You know, you know what, like Saints could have had nothing to play for. I think every team goes to Old Trafford and wants to get a result, don't they? Because it's one of those, you know, famous old football grounds where you want, you know, if you get if you beat Man United at Old Trafford, that's something that everyone re- remembers, you know. Everyone remembers Charlie Austin's debut goal and the winner. Yeah, you know, we we remember St. Hads scoring well. there and you know ripping off his shirt. And we'll remember Obafemi you know, scoring there. I think it's a shame for him that he didn't get to do it in front of, you know, 70,000 people, but Everyone goes to Old Trafford wanting to get something. But also the fact that they were so arrogant about it made me a lot more fired up. And I'm sure it would have done the same for the Saints players. And it was so, so sweet when Obafemi scored that goal. I mean, it was just just wonderful. Yeah, Um, and
2: Saints got what they deserved at the game. You know, draw was a fair result. Saints had more possession, uh, which doesn't happen. You know, Old Trafford, the opposition doesn't get more possession than a United. Uh, so it's created some really good chances yeah of course you know Bertrand's tackle to prevent um, is it Rashford scoring mm. that, that you know uh, that, yeah the last you know, minute the, off the line the last minute sort of yeah. hope, poke thing yeah of course but you're always going to get that it's like against Man City where people said well you know Man City had 26 shots that's the game they play you know yeah. like, there's always going to be it and you have to you have to figure out a way to beat these teams because if you try and do what they do they'll murder you and all credit to Ralph because he, he's just got such a good tactical system and yeah, Man United uh, you know, they're, they're flying and all credit to Saints to come away and not, you know 96 minutes in you know, for Wolper for to still have the energy to whip that ball in like he did um, and venerate the presence of mind and over Femi to catch a sleeping Lindelof.
1: Oh, that was great, John. Do, do you want a little bit more shard and fraud? When you look at the replay of the um... Uh, Obafemi. Oh, yeah, this is good. (laughs) And Harry Maguire. Um, Who was he marking? Wasn't it Wan-Bissaka
2: Harry Harry Maguire takes his own player out of the game, doesn't he? So so Harry Maguire Uh, has
1: his hands on the shoulders of Wan-Bissaka and kind of like bundles him out of the way, which leaves Bednarek totally free to get the flick on header to Obafemi. I mean, you know know Harry Maguire is more expensive than Virgil Van Dijk
2: Yeah, I mean, I I know football fees are mad and like talking about football fees are mad but um Harry Maguire I mean like you know we're not here to talk about opposition players and we're not here to talk about um whether he's worth the money but like God like he's just so such an odd footballer isn't he I mean he looks like he should have been out of, like the middle ages and he should be holding a pike mm-hmm. and ready to like kill some Frenchmen but like he he takes out Wan Bissaka
1: right in front of the It's just such a weird thing to do. I mean, I you, just don't, you you'd be devastated he if thinking? he did that for England, wouldn't you? You'd be so cross.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. Like he's uh, he's he's such a like even like, you know I watched a bit of the Manchester Chelsea game earlier today. He's so uncomfortable on the ball. I mean, like I mean Van Dyke's best player I've ever seen play football. Stop. And uh, the idea that Maguire cost more money than Van Dyke is the most insane thing I've
1: ever heard about problem. Right, so anyway, let's move on from, from Harry Maguire. Let's, you know, that's savour that that sweetness of a 96-minute equalizer at Old Trafford. Uh great stuff from Oberfemi. Uh interesting kind of post-match interview, I think, from Ralph as well. Um, and he does he certainly kind of hinted at quite a prickly relationship, I think, between him and Oberfemi. And he also seemed quite disappointed when, you know, you mentioned that stat earlier that we had 52, 53% possession, um, you know, more possession than Man United. And, you know, Ralph seemed quite surprised at that and was saying, you know, well, we're getting better at working with the ball as well, you know, when actually we prefer not to have it. So, you know, loads of positives there to take. You then have the next game, Brighton-Hove Albion at home. I mean, also, let's, let's reflect on that because... At the start of this lockdown when we had our I don't know episode where we didn't know the answer to any of the questions we looked at <laughs> the um those three middle games yeah. um of Manchester City, Everton and man United as like well there's there's the kind of tricky bit in the middle let's hope we're safe before those three games come along because you know it'd be quite easy to, to drop points in those three games and then yeah you know, yeah have a look I think to we, play thought we, we, we thought we might get a point we thought we might get a point we, from those yeah. three games. Um, and you're coming away with five points undefeated I think it's just absolutely fantastic and, and and the fact that we were safe before we went into those three games as well um, yeah the players are doing that on their own fruition yeah, the, the, yeah we can't even really go anywhere in the league now can we I mean we're 11th uh, we can't go any we higher can,
2: we can't go to we can't go to 10th no
1: because
2: uh, of Burnley um, but it's about pride isn't it
1: yeah so then we have Brighton at home, and then then we're kind of, so we're into our three fixtures at the end: Brighton, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United. And I think yeah, easy, we easy were eyeing these one ones as done. like if we need points at the end of the season, these are the ones where we're going to get it. Brighton at home, um, you're going to hope that Saints are going to win that, uh, especially with the form that we've been in. But you know, Brighton at home just always has the same result, isn't it? It's a score draw every time. And that's what yeah, it was a game. funny game, wasn't it? I mean the, the the first half, I mean we we absolutely rang the changes, didn't we? I mean there was a lot of changes. Yeah. I think five changes. And lots of young players as
2: well, wasn't it? So so what we got? We've got things coming in for Bertrand. You got Bestie coming in for uh Jack. got in for Stevens,
1: it? yeah, that's right. Hoyberg playing him right uh, back instead of Carl Walker Peters.
2: I mean that won't happen again for yeah. many reasons, but Smallbone
1: was, was for, in for Armstrong.
2: For Armstrong.
1: And Obafemi um, started in, instead of Adams, didn't? It? Adams,
2: yeah, just didn't really work, did it? First half,
1: no, no, it, it really didn't. Um, yeah, Hoyberg didn't work at right back at all. Um,
2: yeah, and why? I mean, why, John? Why is he at right back there? Um, well, and Ward Prowse, who is not. Is it because when Ward Prowse was played, that was when we were playing the five-three-two, and maybe he's more suited than that than being a traditional right
1: back. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just because, like, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg is down the pecking order, right? So, he's like, well, why would... You know, James Will Prowse is a better right back <laughs> than Hoiberg. But perhaps he thinks, well, you know, James Will Prowse should have his position in his normal part of the team because mm. he's not leaving us in the summer. That that was kind of my feeling yeah. as, as why it was Hoiberg. But, but then why wasn't it Valerie? It was a- or is Valerie injured? Well again?
2: Valerie, I don't know if he was fit, was he? I mean he was on the bench today. Um I mean Hoybo was a was a disaster right back because he wasn't a very good just he wasn't really anything, was he? He gave us nothing really going he was not very really good going forward, he didn't really defend particularly well. Um but I, I think, you know, we just didn't play very well. We kind of forgot ourselves, a bit like the Arsenal game. Yeah. But obviously, um as good as Arsenal and we kind of just forgot what we were all about, I think, in that game. Um, I mean, Vestergaard, can we talk about
1: Vestergaard? Yeah, why not? Let's we talk about
2: What a strange footballer Vestergaard is. <laughs> yeah, you know, like what a, what a weird beast he is, like a like a like, like he He's huge, but he's terrible in the air. He's massively, exper- you know, he played so many games in the Bundesliga, so highly regarded, but makes sort of, really basic mistakes. And for, for Brighton's goal, you know, he's getting kind of out-thought and out-maneuvered and out-fought by, you know, a 36-year-old who's not played since the end of February. And, you know, I just don't, I just don't understand Vestergaard. Don't get it, John.
1: Yeah, I, he's very strange because... Um... You think about like today's performance as well, where he was kept on making mistakes and then kept on making kind of great recoveries. And actually, what what you want is a defender who's a little bit more quiet than that. He does neither. He doesn't need to make the great recoveries because he hasn't made the mistake in the first place. Just kind of quietly gets on with things. Um,
2: But if you look at like Van Dyke, to talk about Van Dyke, Van Dyke doesn't make great recoveries because Van Dyke doesn't make any mistakes and. you're right. I mean, like today, we'll, we'll talk about today, but like just whilst we're on this Vestergaard moment, yeah, you know, there was a great block that bestgar did, I think, against Callum Wilson, but, mm. you know, when it was 1-0, but bestgar has to make that block because kind of screws up the clearance. It's all so strange with him. Like, I I think obviously it's just a move, you know, we spent, by States terms, big money on him. It's just not worked it, at right. all. And I think, He's just not where we need him to be at that level, is he?
1: He is not Premier League level centre-back in my eyes. Although, I mean, one thing he has, which we learned in that game against Brighton, is he he can kick a football about 100 miles an hour. (laughs) I thought he broke the sound barrier when he hit it. Yeah. um, So I heard a sonic boom. (laughs) it, It was ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean... I don't even know, like, because Ryan got a touch to it, right? The Brighton goalkeeper.
2: Yeah, it was an amazing save.
1: But how how is that even possible? Like, why does his hand just not implode?
2: Or burst into flames or something? Yeah.
1: Or, you know, come away with... Like... Yeah. I mean, Vestergaard hit that bloody hard.
2: I think we've seen Vestergaard take a, a couple of free kicks, haven't we, where he mm. really walleted it. Yeah. Um, But he's such an odd footballer. He doesn't really look like a footballer. He looks like a sort of um, like I thought today when I I was watching him. He looks like a kind of foreign exchange student that is like slightly bigger and older than everyone else, and asked to play a game that he's never played before. So, like, you know, you can imagine like a foreign exchange student coming over here and being like what's this game? And they're like, oh, it's cricket. i like, do never played cricket before. Can I join in? Like, yeah, and then just doing loads of really crazy stuff and occasionally looking brilliant <laughs> after. Um, like he's just such an odd beast. And, you know, if the rumours are true, you know, this is his last season at Saints. So I don't think that would be a bad thing.
1: No. Um, so, so, I mean, are, are, are there think... the rumours that he's going to Leicester, though, for like over 20 million yeah. quid? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me, Tom. I mean, I, and those rumours seem to have died down a bit recently. Um, so I don't know if that's kind of like a you know pre-COVID they're feeling a bit flush perhaps their owners have yeah you know, lost a bit of money. And... Well, they've,
2: they've got two very. I mean, they've got uh I can't the Turkish bloke and they can say name can say whatever his name. They're they're, they're sent back in, uh, is, and is, probably is the, the one that
1: looks like um kind of like a Prince Charming sort of character from a Disney yeah, Pixar film.
2: Yeah, yeah, he looks a bit like a sort of so like ladies type. Like
1: is that cringe?
2: The so cringe, yeah. yeah. And then they've got the Premier League's most underrated centre-back, Johnny Evans. Yeah. Uh, the centre-back that Man United should never have sold. And, you know, you imagine Vestergaard would probably do the sort of Wes Morgan off-the-bench job mm. for them. Um, but he, yeah. I just, right, but I, but I, You almost feel a, a tiny it, bit sorry
1: for him. Yeah. You, you know where I think well, Vestergaard would look good? I, I think kind of like in a team where they absolutely dominate all of the play and possession for a long, long period of time. You said, like, like you know, if he was playing for Bayern Munich, where he's not really called into action that often, but the ball does sometimes, you know, come back to him and he gets a chance to kind of maraud forward a little bit and there's not really any consequences to what he does because, you know, because you're Bayern Munich and you're going to win every game anyway. That's kind of where I, th- I think Vestergaard would look like a decent player. But I think for Saints, where you know, we do commit players forward on the high press. We need our centre-backs to be switched on because they are going to have to do some, you know, some last-ditch stuff. Um, and, and that's why, you know, Bednarek has been so good and so loved under Ralph, I think, is because, yeah, you know, he's so good at doing that last-ditch stuff, those kind of like last-minute recoveries and blocks and sliding tackles, which I think, and I think this is the tackle that you were talking about earlier, Tom, where Benrek makes one of the best sliding tackles I've ever seen and gets yellow carded for it.
2: Yeah, it, 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 well, I don't know. I mean, I think we really miss Ben. We we, we miss Benrek. We miss Steven. I mean, what's worrying is obviously there's no one in the in, in you know. I, I thought of this today when I was you know I was watching kind of plastic of, sort of slam into people on a halfway line and you know just sort of generally take people out and and you're like, well, we just obviously don't have anyone else, do we? We just obviously. You know, what was the alternative? If if got sent off today or pulls a hamstring or whatever, who's gonna play at centre back? Okay. Yeah. What you'd be looking at moving Bertrand into centre back and I don't know, you move Romeo maybe, but yeah. neither of those are optimal, are they? I mean you but have Kevin
1: just, Danso on the bench who we've not seen for a fair while.
2: Yeah. But I mean obviously he has no future of Saints. No. Um very strange beast Vestagar. I mean I, I I don't really I feel bad that it, it you You don't want to kind of single out Saints players and say, you know, I I, what I I would always say in our WhatsApp groups, I probably wouldn't want to tweet about people because it's not very nice. But um, you just feel he needs to move on.
1: Yeah. Um... You know. So, I mean, let's talk about some of the other things that happened in the Brighton game. So, obviously, we we conceded to Mopo. We had a dreadful first half. I think um, Ralph said it was a disaster. We said it was like bad old saints. Um, Second half, Carl Walker-Peters comes on, slips into that right-back position. Um, Adams also comes on for Obafemi. And it's Romeo who goes out of the midfield and... Pierre Muhai kind of goes up into that position, which um, you know that's that's kind of like it feels like the right thing to do, doesn't it? You don't need Romeo against Brighton at home, you just don't. You just don't need him kind of like breaking up the play like that.
2: No, Well, and, particularly not when you're you're losing. Yeah, and, you know when you when you're losing, you don't. And I thought the, the changes that Ralph made were really positive. Uh, um,
1: but but Tom, can and, I ask you a question? Can how of... can you how can you a game changer. Right How do there, you change yeah. a game by bringing on a right back? Which is what happened, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he's so much. This is the amazing thing about Walker.
2: Like I think I said to you earlier, John. He's like in terms of skills. Like, watch him get out of sticky situations. In terms of skills, he's like a Nathan Redmond. Yeah, you know, he's he's clearly was a winger that's been converted into a fullback. He beats people like without even thinking about it. And yeah, you know, he just gives us so much more. I think he, yeah. if you think about it, we had nothing from from right back in that game until Walker Peters came on. So we're almost playing with Ted Nets, really. It's a bit melodramatic, but in terms of creativity, and I think he's just got this kind of, he frees up Armstrong to be a better player, and when Armstrong's a better player, so is Danny Ings, so is Nathan Redman, and so is James Ward-Prowse. And and that is, you know that's what he does. Is he obviously gives Saints the confidence to go forward, and also he just gives you, you know, on the overlap he beats people, he goes past people. Um, he's, it's funny, isn't it? Because he's one of the like it was one of those signings for Saints that were perhaps a little bit underwhelming. You know, in terms of we knew we needed a, a right back, we knew we needed a first team right back. We got this bloke that sort of floated around the first team for two or three years, never really played any games. Um, and then. And you look at Spurs, and Spurs have got Mendy at right back. Who, no, sorry, not Mendy, uh, Aurier at right back, who is, you know, a real like liability, isn't it? Uh, of a, I always find as a footballer, he makes crazy decisions, does some insane things. And then you look at Saints, and now Saints have got the backup player from from the team like Spurs, who actually looks to be twice the footballer than the player that's been keeping him out of the first team. Um... But he's obviously just had such a massive impact. And I think he's almost maybe he's the kind of missing piece of the puzzle.
1: Well, you you know what I think like Carl Walker-Peters does is he gives a bit of freedom to whoever's on the the right wing. So, I mean, I think we might want to talk about Armstrong's movement, but um, we had Smallbone on the pitch in this game. Uh, at least till the seventy eighth minute, then Armstrong came o- on for Smallbone. But Carl Walker Peters is so capable in that right back position. He he defends better than a you know uh, either Cedric or, or Valerie. He he's good going forward. He's tricky. He can get himself out of like those really awkward situations. And we're starting to see whoever's on the right wing, whether that's Armstrong or Smallbone, moving in. Inside a lot more, and kind of like slipping into that sort of number ten yeah. position from from the wing. It's going, you know, for, suddenly you have like an extra forward player in the middle, and you can kind of overload the the kind of center of the pitch with attackers. And I, th- I think that's what he did in in this game against Brighton. I think that's why suddenly it all changed. But also he was creative going forwards. Uh, you know, he was yeah really energetic. Um, he was. Probably my man of the match, um, and yeah, you know, he's
2: also a hell of a defender.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he wins headers at the back post, which is something that, like, yeah, you know, it's just such joy to have for, from a right back that that can do that. And he's not tall. It, by any no, I think he's about my height, isn't he? About like five five
2: six or something. Yeah, if he's about my height. I mean, he's like, he's a brilliant defender. This is, you uh, know, we're talking about ten million pounds, which. Would appear to be an absolute
1: bargain. Yeah, I, I, I think you've got to take him up, take him up on that. I hope Tottenham haven't really been paying that much attention to what's been going on, because otherwise, you're right. They might think he should uh, come in instead of um, Serge Aurier, but he's been he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, second half against Brighton, we were just so much better. I think we had 15 shots um, at Brighton's goal in the second half. Absolutely battered them. We had 21 shots in total in the game. Loads and loads of chances, and you're just kind of like looking at this. I think Redmond missed a couple again, Mm. and you're just waiting for one to kind of go to Danny Ings. And when the ball, that through ball went forward um, from Redmond to Danny Ings, you just knew he was going to score. He looks so cool on it, doesn't he? When when he picks up the ball and he's heading towards goal like that, you just know it's going to happen. It's too easy for him.
2: well, it was a really good pass by Redmond. We got lucky because I think that, uh, Lampsey, the right back, um, he looks a really good player. A really, really good player. Just misjudges the flight of the ball, doesn't he? Ever so slightly, which sets things off. But you're absolutely right. He, he has this kind of ice cold confidence, doesn't he? That you just know he's going to score. You, you just, you, he to does as well. A bit like, um, you know, they a wild comparison. I mean, do you remember when Michael Owen burst onto the scene and he would score one on ones every time he was put through? Oh yeah, yeah. Like he just was so good at scoring chances one on one. With Redmond, it, you just know he's gonna, yeah. you know, he's gonna find the net. And I think also, there's a lot of there's pressure there because it is you know he's the main man, isn't it? I mean, if what's he on now? Twenty one goals, the closest players probably on like five or six maybe for Saints. Well, Armstrong on five or perhaps on five remand on five yeah I'm I mean, it he's shouldering the burden um, but he, he seems to relish it yeah
1: he, he looks like he's just really enjoying life at the moment um, but I know what you say about him shouldering the burden but I mean he gets so many goals but you, you don't feel like Saints are nothing without him but they are so much more with him do you know what I mean <clears throat> we're, we're kind of like Ralph is building a good team with one incredible player you know at the f- sharp end of that team who's just doing incredible things i mean his goal against bournemouth today i thought was fantastic i mean we we did discover today the one thing that dennings can't do i mean he can defend he can tackle he can run all day long he can finish yeah you know, i i think he's up there as being the best english finisher since inform harry kane from a couple of seasons ago at the moment um it's so good. I just, I just love him, Tom. I love Daniel yeah. Ings. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm declaring that now. Daniel Ings, I love you. You're, you're wonderful. Well, but he just, you're
2: right, John. He, he seems to be loving life at Saints. He obviously, him. Yeah, he's obviously got this fantastic relationship with Ralph. The team is built up in a way that plays to his strengths, and um, you know, he's he's just scoring all sorts of goals. Um, and you know, one on ones headers. He's now scoring from outside the box, which before this season he'd never scored an outside the box goal in the Premier League. Um, yeah, it was a great finish. It was no more, you know, no more, no less than, than Saints deserve. Um, and I think the ball, the Brighton game was interesting because Saints just looked quite tired, mm. didn't they? I think they looked a bit leggy. They,
1: um, they, they did, and uh, you know, I wasn't too disappointed to come away with a draw. I think, yeah, you know, we should have probably taken three points from that game but yeah, kind of like we said before we didn't have loads to play for I think the first half we did look tired and leggy look much better in the and second Brighton half and Brighton had something to play for didn't uh, they? Yeah and Brighton pretty much they pretty much secured their safety with that draw against us uh, which brings us on to today's game um, against Bournemouth so the inverted commas of South Coast Derby it's definitely not really a Derby um, Bournemouth obviously reveled in their victory at St Mary's earlier in the season 3-1 which you know they celebrated like they totally dominated us and uh, I was quite I was a bit frustrated with this game because I thought Saints actually out we didn't play very well at the start of the season and I thought the game against Bournemouth was one of the games that, that we played better in um and I actually think you know, a draw would have been a fairer result in that game than, than the 3-1 that Bournemouth got. But they, they got the victory. They really rubbed our noses on it. They told us that we wouldn't challenge their position. They kind of told us that we were going down, they're going to stay up, all of this stuff. Um, You're yeah, really building up. I still didn't really want Bournemouth to get relegated. Um, no, I don't want it to go down. No, I kind of quite like having them, having them up here. But they certainly... They're, they're trying to create a rivalry with Saints because, you know, let's face it, Paul FC are probably not going to be decent rivals for Bournemouth for some years. Um, and, you know, we have a, a, another game, which um, I suppose, Tom, we spoke to Carl Anker about his experience of, of going to a game as a journalist in lockdown. I suppose you almost got the closest to what it's like to be a fan going to the stadium with the BT fan zone. What was that like? Yeah,
2: I mean it's good. I got to watch the game. Yeah, which is great. Um, it's weird there because you have to, you have to obviously show passion and stuff when your team scores or if they concede, and just, you know that's not a very English thing to do, is it? When you're just at home, <laughs> so, like it's not what we do. We're very sort of stiff a lip and all that. But did you, did yeah, you also good. have to wear well, a replica
1: shirt as well, Tom?
2: I did. You know, what I wore I wore the Sanderson kit. Oh yeah, uh, the Pony Sanderson kit, which. I think it's made of polyester. It can't have been what the players wore. It, they, I refuse to believe the players wore this same kit because, my God, it makes you so hot, so sweaty. Um, I just can't believe that, that they put this on athlete ever. I hope in their game, something else. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was yeah interesting game today, John.
1: Yeah, and what I found quite interesting is that you are about a minute ahead of me, weren't you? so i was watching through the usual bt sport method but i think yeah and and i guess that was you know in case you celebrated or um commiserated in a saint's goal or or concession in a uh, way that would not be savory for (laughs) us viewers at home
2: yeah no we were on strict strict orders
1: yeah um so I mean, it's an interesting game. It was quite end to end, I thought, for for most of the first half. Um, you know, both sides were getting chances. Vestergaard was doing strange things, but you know, we've already talked about Vestergaard. Um yeah,
2: he took it took someone out of there ring. That was quite good on a halfway. I would just slalom through the back as someone.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was quite um, that was quite funny, wasn't it? Um, but you know, it, it was down to that man again, Danny Ings, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, and nice. Really worked well, worked goal from Saints. Saints hadn't really kind of put their mark on the game before that point, had they? They've kind of, I think, been maybe a little bit uh overawed by this sort of energy and sort of throwing themselves around and physicality, maybe of of Bournemouth, um, particularly up front with um, Wilson, uh, who who, you know has a bit of a good record against Saints, but it's just a very nicely worked goal, you know, was it came down the right. From Walter Peters into and then I think Ward Prowse kind of fizzed the ball across to Redmond, lovely little layoff and Dunning's. It's funny because Dunning's has done something today with his goalie. he told everyone he was going to do more of against after the Watford game, John. And do you remember that the, the goal he against Watford was quite similar? And in terms of he passes far corner and after the game. I think in the post-match interview, you know, interviewed, so you know, it's something I like to do is, is to drop off the shoulder and then get low into that corner. But obviously, he's not. You know, there's, there's one thing Danny's telling everyone what he's going to do. It, you know, there's a whole other thing of the world trying to stop him once he starts doing it. And um, it was a brilliant finish, and I think we needed it, didn't we? Because we we didn't really make a mark on the game.
1: We, I mean, we we, we did seem to be kind of like lacking that cutting edge at that point. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny, you say it was like a nice layout from Nathan Redmond, but he still had everything to do, didn't he, you um, know, yeah, there, there were lots of defenders yeah. around him. Um, you'd have almost sensed he might kind of go towards goal, but he almost doesn't. He almost kind of goes a little bit away from goal, but across goal, just to find that little channel that he wants to hit it down, which is, you know, to sway it then down into that kind of bottom corner. And he, he doesn't, he doesn't even look at the goal when he does it. He just knows instinctively where it is and just and, and puts it in. And I mean, it's just another really good Danny Ings goal where there wasn't an awful lot. You know, it was a good attack, but there wasn't a clear cut chance there. And he's made himself a chance which he which he can score from. And that's kind of like why I think he's getting a lot of comparisons to the Harry Kane of you know to seasons ago at the moment because Harry Kane was scoring a lot of those you know goals where you you don't really think there's a chance on but he somehow shoots and scores and Danny Ings is, he's done that against Norwich yeah. he's done that against Watford he's done it again now um, against Bournemouth and um, yeah, you, you could see Bournemouth were gutted weren't they because yeah, it would have probably have been fair for us to go in the half time at nil Um
2: yeah I mean it they, they, I think it kind of took the wind out of their sails, didn't they? Because they probably surprised themselves by how well they played, and also they, they played in a way that exploits Saints' weakness, which is you know they had lots of fast early crosses, didn't they, mm. into the sort of danger area? Um, was, it, was it Cook and Wilson, the two sort of big forwards for Bournemouth today? Uh, and, and that's the strange thing is now, so he's spoke about who six or seven, obviously comfortable in the air. Uh, Stevens has never been particularly comfortable in the air, I don't think, for a, for a centre-back, and, and also isn't a particularly physical centre-back. So that was the game plan. You know, get it up, pump it off the ball, Tony Pulis style, as fast and as early as you can. And I think Danny's goal, as well taken as it was, just kind of showed that, that's the difference, isn't it? A player of that quality just needs one one moment, really. Yeah. To kind of to, to turn the game. And also, just for half-time, um, great goal! Great time to score it, and I think a really, you know, that a really important goal.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it was, and I think after the second, after time we were much better in the second half. You know, we were stronger. Yeah. We kind of kept on surging forward. Um, we forced Harry Ram, uh, not Harry Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale, into making lots and lots of saves, um, including one from a Dannying's penalty, which was a dreadful penalty, I'm afraid to say and we, yeah. we, we've learnt what Danny Ings can't do because <laughs> it's weird isn't it you see those stats like Danny Ings has scored the most goals from you know if you take out penalties and you think well yeah well James Will Prowse has missed a penalty we won't score any of the penalties we get it seems so why not let Danny Ings take it and then I think yeah I mean we, I
2: felt more comfortable when I saw Danny Ings take charge and stroll up With you know I thought that's it he's going to score
1: yeah but
2: there's no way he will miss um funny that. The, the stat I was going to mention to you earlier, John, is something that Ralph said, apparently, after the game, I don't think it might have been in the press conference, was that penalties that are, it's something like this, the penalties that are given after long VAR deliberations, yeah. 55% of those penalties are missed.
1: More than half. I mean, that's yeah a pretty astonishing stat, if that's, if that's correct.
2: So long VAR, which it was, wasn't it? Because uh you know, we were watching it and it and it was like they that we had a corner, the Saints players all appealed. And I always think that's that's the sign, isn't it, that that there's definitely something in it is when all the players appeal. Like the classic example of that was DeCoro's handball against Saints few years yeah. ago, which obviously we we're never gonna get over, John. Um but every Saints player to a man appealed that, which says there's definitely which to me suggests that's the handball. Um but it was it was a you know it was a handball and it was caught really well by fair play to VAR for picking it up and um yeah yeah which is which is because I don't know what the number of penalties you know the percentage of penalties scored normal penalties scored but I bet it's what like eighty percent you'd imagine
1: yeah apart from for Saints and Man City it seems
2: <laughs> well yeah Saints or well, only Saints in recent years uh, but yeah, it was a it was a really poor penalty, and I think it was almost like, because um, he went to give the keeper the ice, didn't he, and then got it all wrong.
1: Yeah, well, the keeper dived to his left, and Danny Yang still hit it to his left, which kind of, yeah. that, that defeats the point of doing a dummy penalty, you're supposed to then change the way you shoot based on which way you think the keeper's going, otherwise you might as well just smash it in.
2: I'm um, a big fan of the Troy Deeney penalty. He just hit it as hard as you possibly can.
1: Yeah, well, James Beattie was a bit like that, wasn't he? He used to kind of like walk away yeah. from the wall, and just run up and just smash it into the top corner. And, uh, did, did James Beattie have a sort of uh, weird uh, walk back with yes. his back to the goalkeeper, Yeah, yeah. turn yeah. quickly... And just smash it in.
2: And smash it in. But he had like a weird run-up, didn't he, where his he like, knees seemed to go quite high. If any of the younger fans listening want to see that sort of quite strange penalty technique with James Beattie
1: but it worked for Beattie. Yeah, so so James Beattie's penalty record, 17 taken 16 scored, so you're talking about 94% yeah. conversion ratio I mean, Matt Letizia, I think he had what, off. 43 penalties out of 44 or 42 yeah. out of 43? He saved the one, John? Was it Bessant? No, Mark Crossley. Oh, Mark Crossley, that's right. And then Ricky Lambert, but, what was yeah. his penalty record? I mean, that was that uh, was 100% well, for Saints, wasn't
2: it? It was 100%. I think Ricky Lambert scored 32 penalties for Saints. I yeah. think I read this week. There was an interesting Guardian, um, you know, the knowledge on the Guardian, by the yeah. way they do this, where they they on questions. And there was Sergio Ramos who scored twenty-two penalties in a row and someone said, is that the best penalty streak that anyone's ever had? And I think that actually worked out that perhaps it is Ricky Lambert because Ricky Lambert scored 32 for Saints and he scored the five he'd taken before that. Yeah. only scored the five. Five
1: before that, so it was like He like, like 37 or. Well, apparently, or apparently scored 34 for Southampton. Yeah. And then he missed That's a penalty, having... I think, against Milan. Did he? For Liverpool. I
2: don't know. I, can tell you that, God, I, don't I don't know. I don't But yeah. Um, yeah. We, we just, it's weird because we, War Browsers is, is an interesting one because you think the guy can put the ball on a postage stamp about 50 yards.
1: Uh, it, um, it was only a friendly, hang on, where Ricky Lambert's penalty was saved. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even count that. that is, no, that that, didn't count That's that. not real football. Otherwise, Jay Adams would be like our top goal scorer. Yeah, dude. exactly. Sorry, Tom, you're going to make another point there. Well,
2: no, just obviously taking a penalty is just harder, than, harder than it looks, isn't it, obviously. But yeah. Bertrand takes a good penalty.
1: Yeah, I think Bertrand scored score penalty. I mean, I think they wanted Danny Ings to take it, didn't they, because they wanted to give him a chance of getting oh, a goal to boot. And probably that's what he was thinking about too much and not just actually yeah. focused on, um, on on scoring the penalty. Um, so, I mean, then we have Bournemouth actually get their goal in the last minute. So, you, Tom, I think you messaged something that was quite ominous to me. It was just like Ramsdale's making save after save. We miss a penalty and you just say it would be so typical if Saints... Don't win this. And if you get a draw from this, it'd be like classic Saints. And it looked like that that was the case um, when, I can't even remember the name of the Bournemouth player, so I'm going to have to look this up. Surridge. That was it, Surridge. Um, slots it in, and you kind of look at that, and you think, well, I mean, in my mind, I was kind of like, it gives them a chance, you know. Yeah, they've got to draw. Saints are only to blame they, they can only blame themselves for being in that situation where you're conceding a last-minute equalizer. Um, and then you see the referee kind of like, Oh, there's a var check going on, and um I think it's Wilson who's offside. Mm. And uh and and you think you know that's gutting for Bournemouth, it really is. And then we kind of go up the other end, Redman gets his third assist in three games, putting the ball across to um Chadams. But again, it wasn't a really simple finish, but he has to do a little bit of work and then slots it past the goalkeeper 2 0. And that, Tom, yeah. that 98th minute goal was the latest Premier League goal since 2012.
2: Good knowledge, man, John. I, yeah. I mean, lots to unpack or unpick, however the saying is. But I what a, um, good for Barr as well. Yeah, that's exactly what Barr's there to do, isn't it? Because there's no way Saints would have got the penalty today, which was a penalty. And there's no way that goal would have been disallowed, which it should have been. Yeah, you know, strict rules of the game; it should have been disallowed. I think because I think because Callum Wilson was challenging, challenged um, McCarthy for the ball in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, or something is that right? Um, so the right decision, but we wouldn't have got it. And and VAR has been our friend this season. Um, I think broadly, it's been it, I think.
1: I think it's because all the Premier well League referees well. don't like us.
2: Yeah. Well, well uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think one of the things Saints do play is they play a very tight offside trap, don't they? So therefore, it probably benefits us in that way. And also, you just got to have, you know, it it does kind of equalize. It should equalize between the big teams that did get the decisions. It should do. Um, but yeah, but it was it was a good finish from yeah. Adams. I, I'm really excited about Adams for next year because. Yeah, I think he does appear to be the stronger, doesn't he? If you think it, it's really about, you know, we know we're going to play Chelsea up front. We know one of those is going to be Danny Ings. So it's now between Shane Long, over Demi and and Adams to to own that that second spot. And it would appear that Adams is is the sort of becoming the number one choice.
1: Mm. He's getting um, there, isn't he? I think Shane Long is still the first choice to partner Danny Ings at the moment, but. Che Adams is getting that. It was kind of quite weird. And I, I wonder if this is about the type of goal that he scored. But I think Chadams was more pleased with this goal than he was with the one against Man City. And I think like, I felt like kind of the one against Man City was so atypical, you know, it's, it's a lob from miles away that perhaps that's not the sort of goal that he's, he scores. He almost seemed a bit embarrassed by how uh, everyone was so excited about him scoring it. Whereas I think this time he felt like, yes, finally, that's a proper striker's goal a goal in the yeah. box where well, I've beaten a defender and I've put it past the keeper.
2: Well, I think it's t- it two things, John. I think mean, he was probably flabbergasted by the Man City goal. Yeah. So, like, he doesn't really, you know, you can't comprehend what you've just done. And I think the other thing is, and obviously this is, like, a massive cult psychology on my part that has no great in fact or knowledge of anything. You can imagine, like, you don't want to be a player that is, like, a pub quiz answer. You know, so, like, Name the player that signed for Southampton for 15 million pounds and scored one goal, which was a 45-yard world-class goal against Man City, and then never scored again. Whereas now, because he's done a he's done a boring goal. Yeah. You know he's you know he's now you know the hardest thing was scoring the first goal, but then you don't want to be known as a one-goal striker.
1: So so, So maybe
2: kind of like cast that aside now and now he's just gonna go on some mental run when we
1: start next season. So so here's to more boring goals from from che Adams. Um Yeah. So I mean Tom so you, I think he'll start when he against um Shepherd United. Yeah, I think he's he's got to. Uh you've enjoyed some of the stats. Um here's one. Southampton second best away record this season yeah. in the Premier League. Only Liverpool have got more points away from home with that kind of victory against um Bournemouth, obviously there's other games to be played the rest of the season and I think this must be the first time since we've been doing the podcast which was back when Claude Puel was manager when we started doing the Saints FC podcast that we've had six games undefeated seven or yep. seven undefeated no, seven undefeated, undefeated this yeah. is um, three yeah. wins and three draws I mean, that's pretty bloody good, isn't it, Tom? I mean, I'd settle for that Yeah
2: and there's lots to be excited about. I think you're exactly right. I think um, the amount, even like it's the most boring stuff, but the things that obviously matter, like Saints players covering, like, I think, more ground than anyone else in Premier the League. Um, these are, they're kind of like these mundane things. But obviously, what's exciting like about Ralph is he clearly has a philosophy and the players are buying into it and obviously he doesn't want players that aren't going to buy into it. That's good. Get him out. Um, he, he, you know, like you say, six games unbeaten, we go into a free swing at a home game. You know, if I look tomorrow, you know, we can finish 11th. even you remember that after that, having the game earlier this season? Dom, there's no way you'd have thought that team would finish 11th.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, I you'd, mean,
2: you'd have the hand off the 17th.
1: Yeah, I was terrified at that point. I thought, oh God, here we, you know, here we go again. I thought Ralph was going to be a different sort of manager um, and there we were kind of looking, staring down the barrel of another relegation battle. Tom, we 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 we've been talking for quite a little time now. I've got two more things that we need to do. One is we need to ask people for their nominations for our end of season awards. I'm gonna go through what we gave out last season as a bit of a reminder. Uh but oh, also wanna do a a listener email, Saints GT Gordon, he's he's been in contact again. Um he says, Hi guys, how good is the way that we are playing? So positive, the belief that we can win games and so good to see us chase games for 90 minutes, something that we haven't done so well in the past. Think we're really seeing the development of the team under Ralph. Um, you know, uh, Saints fans are ever hopeful, but I think you know with some good player management through the close season, there's a real chance Saints could be a top ten next season. Next season, what do you think about that? Well, if you, look,
2: we're eleventh we're now, right? And Everton tomorrow, have to go away to Sheffield United. That's hard. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Saints have two goals to the good, two, two points to the good on Everton, who. Are in the one place below us. So, um, sorry, sorry. If, if if Everton lose tomorrow, which let's face not unrealistic, the Saints will be three points ahead of them with the same goal difference, and that that means you know we can finish in, um, we can finish in a, in a, in eleven, uh, comfortably if we beat Sheffield at home, which we can, which we can do. So I think I think you know, form and and not being at home and. and yeah. And the United obviously now probably won't qualify for Europe, but it's really it's like, I think I think Ralph will be saying ten top ten. I think that'll be the target. But you look at this season, you know, you've got Sheffield United in eight, Birmingham ninth. There's no reason why he can't push top eight again. Yeah, There's I mean, things there. I, I
1: I feel you know Ralph is definitely the um the sort of manager who is who wants us to push, um. For Europe, and I think that's what he thinks that that we can that we can achieve, um, yeah. You know, so, uh, absolutely, like, why not? Let's. I think that's that's going to be a stretch target, isn't it? Top seven, top eight, pushing for Europa League qualification. I think tenth you'd be happy with, and I think you know next. Well, you want to see us improve on either the twelfth or the eleventh that we're going to get this season. You you want next season to be better, and I think you know, and that's good, that's good progress, up. isn't it? Yeah, good, good cup run. Um, I mean look at Ralph's history, he doesn't do great cup runs apparently, but um so you know, that that'd be interesting. Um we've we've
2: also, heard also it's about you know, sorry you know, it's about bringing the young players through. So we want to see more of small bow we want to see more of Oakens. Uh we're gonna try and work out what kind of football that Ifemme actually is. Um, he's a real unusual player, I think, to think. Uh, you know, if he can bring in two or three young players as well next season then Saints fans
1: should be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we will be. I think everyone's happy. I mean, we've had quite a few emails and I'm not going to read them all. um, We've, we had uh, two from Hong Kong actually. So we had Dan a few weeks ago. So I'm going to read out Dean's part of Dean's email. And, he's written a, a really long interesting email but one of the things that he picks up on is you know the the post goal celebrations the way the players kind of have this camaraderie and he thinks you know there's a visible camaraderie in the team which hasn't been there before he says he, f- he can sense the solidarity the purpose the organization the focus and the belief um what yeah i, I think you know dean's onto something there he's He's right. I mean, Ralph has got these players playing for each other, and that's how he beat teams like Manchester City and get last-minute equalizers against you know, teams like Manchester United and you know, sticking together, playing well. I mean, all these games has come from a team playing really well together as a team.
2: Yeah, and, and John, don't forget. Yeah, you're right. Drawing United, beating Man City, also winning away at Leicester, winning at home against Tottenham, winning away at Chelsea. Yeah. All really, really good results. Um and I think in a in a fair well, I mean obviously uh, Klopp will probably win manager of the year because, you know, they always give it to the person who wins the league, no matter what the resources or who they're up against. Um, you know, you'd argue that Chris Wilder should win it. Um but I think, you know, if you have to pick a third choice, obviously we're heavily biased. Mm. But surely has Houto, I mean, Saints were Garby. I When mean, when was that? When was the Everton game? Was that late? That November, was November, wasn't yeah. it, John? I mean, like, do you think we were terrible until November? And what are we now in this, the the form table for the league, what fifth since the Leicester game or something?
0: Yeah,
2: fourth since the Leicester game. It's it's a tremendous turnaround. And I, you know, you'd think that if they gave these things out in rankings, I I'd argue that Ralph deserves fully third spot.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd say the kind of uh, the um. Other shout would be uh, you know Nuno Espirito Santo from um, Wolves. I think's been a fantastic manager as well.
2: True, and um, also probably you know if, you know, if we get off our Saints blinkers, uh, Sean Dykes has yeah. done an amazing job.
1: He has done another really really impressive job with Burnley. Um, amazing job. So, well, well, you know, Tom, I think you're you're kind of getting into the realm of awards here. So let's move on to our kind of final segment right. of the show. Um I want our listeners to write in with their nominations for this season's awards, okay? Um so the categories that we had last season were player of the season, young player of the season, goal of the season, hero of the season, villain of the season, most improved player, um, best chance slash song of the year, um, iconic moment, and cult hero. So there's a, there's a few things for you to get your teeth into. Last season we gave Player of the Year to Nathan Redmond.
2: I think. Yeah, yeah that well, This last year that made it. So.
1: Yeah, he was really good last season. Young Player of the Season we gave to Jan Valery. Goal of the yeah. season we gave to James Ward-Prowse.
2: Which goal was that, John?
1: Um, yeah, this is there's the a free
2: kick at Man United. It could be. Um,
1: could be. A, or it could have been the free kick against Spurs. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually written down which goal it was, but, you know, it was one of those. Oh, Hero of the season was King Ralph. Naturally. Villain of the season was Wesley.
2: Oh, Wesley Hoyt, really?
1: Yeah. Most improved player was Nathan Redmond as well. Best chance yeah. song I don't think we had. We decided not to award it to anything. A- iconic moment we gave to James Will Prowse in his battle with Wilfred Zaha.
2: Yeah, great, with the tongue out. Like
1: that, John. Yeah, and, and cult hero we gave to Pierre Emil Hoiberg. So there we go. There, yeah. So that was that was last season's award. So um, do write in Saints FC Podcast at gmail dot com, or you can find us uh, at Saints FC Podcast on Twitter. You can also comment um, in the YouTube comments if that's how you listen to it as well. I will try and pick up those before. Uh, the next episode But the next episode we'll only have one game to talk about uh but obviously we'll have the whole season to reflect on as well tom which i think will probably be our our last episode of the of the season and i was going to say you know we can look forward to a long break until next (sighs) year but actually you know we're in late july so um it's going to come around pretty quickly is it it,
2: it september is it john
1: i i i actually don't know tom um I don't think we're going to have much of a break before before we'll be back. So do do you get your nominations for the end of season awards? If you think there's a category that we're missing, of course you are welcome to put in your um, own suggestions um, into that. Um, I'll see if I can speak to some of our previous guests as well, see if we can get kind of Carl Anker's nominations, Professor Simon Kemp, and, you know, some of the others who've uh, appeared on the show over the course of the season as well. Um, but yeah, but it, it's it's been a good season so far. I'm looking forward to the final game against Sheffield United next Sunday, Tom, and then us us wrapping things up. And I'm guessing that that game is not going to be on TV, is it, John? Because there's nothing to play for for both teams. There'll be some way of watching that game, I'm sure, Tom. Yeah, Tom. I'm sure we'll be able to figure Great. it out. All right. Anyway, so, well, thank you very much for sticking with us. It's, a, it's been a long episode, but there's not been a single loss and four games to talk about. Do have a think about what your nominations are for the end of the season. Um, Tom, thank you very much for taking some time out of your weekend to come and speak to me. Um, no, a thank pleasure, you I Have having me, John. Yeah, and, and, um, you and you. I think uh, Caroline um wrote in last week to say that she absolutely loved hearing the sound of the fans kind of leaving leading us out of the podcast So here they are goodbye everyone um have a nice little listen to these real saints fans and not the kind of piped in noise and, and we'll we'll see you or hear you i, I don't know what we don't really we'll talk to you next week about the saints <laughs>